Shale, have you ever played Google Roulette? No, I think I did Chat Roulette once when <laughs> that was a thing. I don't know what Google Roulette is. Uh, this is a little less scary than Chat Roulette. Uh, so the, you type something in Google, the first thing that pops up, you have to talk about. Oh, like you start a sentence and then you let Google finish it for you? Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's try this one. All right, so open up an incognito browser. Uh, got it. Now, type wood electricity and see what pops up first. <laughs> first one is wood electricity work in a zombie apocalypse. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I have one for you. Okay. I'm trying right now. Uh, type in does Elon Musk. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, there's there's some boring ones on there first. Does Elon Musk have children? The second one is, does Elon Musk drive a Tesla? And the answer is, I sure hope so. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but also on that list, if you'll notice a little further down, does Elon Musk own Amazon? Does Elon Musk own Uber? Maybe at some point, Amazon will own Tesla. Yeah, I mean, people have, well, people have speculated about Apple buying Tesla, by which I mean, I think Jigger has been the one saying that Apple should buy Tesla for a long time. I haven't heard anyone say Amazon's going to buy Tesla, but I don't know. Amazon's going to own everything else, so why not? Okay, I've got one more here. Um, type in our electric vehicles. Our electric vehicles better for the environment. Our electric vehicles green. Yeah, our electric vehicles sustainable. A lot of confusion, right? Not as funny, but definitely relevant. Relevant and timely. Yeah, this is a conversation that is ongoing at the moment. All right, well, I guess uh, we've got our show now. So this week, what our collective Google search history tells us about Elon Musk, electric vehicle cleanliness, and the zombie apocalypse. Oh, and we'll find out who won last week's decarbonization draft, too. Before we do that, a quick word from our sponsors. Support for the interchange comes from Shoals Technologies Group, the global leader in balance of system solutions for solar and storage. This American company has deployed products on more than 25 gigawatts of solar projects around the world. Shoals is the gold standard for solar and storage. To learn more about how Shoals can make your project operate at the highest level, visit Shoals.com. We're also brought to you by Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy while earning up to 7.5% annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com GTM. That's Wonder with a U, wondercapital.com GTM. This is The Interchange, weekly conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm GTM Editor-in-Chief Stephen Lacey with my co-host Shale Khan. He's the Senior VP of Research and Strategy at Energy Impact Partners. Hello, Shale. Hey, Stephen. I'm guessing that EIP hasn't asked you to put any analysis together on energy solutions for the zombie apocalypse. I don't know. I feel like that's an investable sector. We could probably do something. <laughs> Are you a fan of apocalyptic stories? Uh, not really. I mean, I've read like a couple of the recent books that are sort of post-apocalyptic. They're not really zombie apocalyptic, but you know, there was that, uh, what was the book called? Station 11 was super popular a couple years ago. And I get into that stuff a little bit, but no, not in any serious fashion. You? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people who are worried about climate change or planetary collapse have some kind of secret fetish for apocalyptic scenarios. Sure, Stephen. A lot of people. 
Well, if that's you and you're like me, you're in luck. We're actually going to try to talk about that topic in an intelligent way. Plus, we'll look at the cleanliness of electric cars and whatever Elon Musk's latest side project is, all of which do tie back to zombies, coincidentally. But first, the results of the deep decarbonization draft. Should we play that song once again? Let's play the song again. People seem to like it. Oh, no. Who's going to win? Who's going to fail? Will it be Steven or will it be Shale? One will be first, the other will be last in the deep decarbonization draft. Deep decarbonization draft. Deep decarbonization draft. Deep decarbonization draft. Deep love it. Yeah. That song comes from Matt Farley, by the way. People were asking about it. He's written more than 19,000 songs. The guy is a, a magician. Um, if you haven't heard our deep decarbonization draft episode from last week, that song probably makes no sense to you in this conversation, probably won't either. So go back and listen to it. For those who did, we have the results. After we chose our draft picks, we opened up a couple of polls, one on the website, one on Twitter, and the listeners have spoken. Shale, do you want to do a drum roll or anything? Uh, yeah, sure. Ready. And the winner is Shale by a lot. Yeah, it wasn't actually all that <laughs> close either. I'm, I'm going to try really hard. No, it wasn't at <laughs> all. I feel really bad about myself. I'm going to try very hard over the next five minutes not to gloat. Also because a couple of people told me that I sounded mean to you on the last episode. So I want everyone to know that we're friends. Yeah, well, I also didn't pick up that you were being mean. I just thought you brought good trash talk and I was being a little too nice. I will say, and I expressed this on Twitter, I felt like after listening to it again, I spent the first half of the show helping you justify your picks. <laughs> you did. It was very nice of you. I mean, I didn't need the help, but it was kind of you to do anyway. Three quarters of listeners from the website poll thought Shale won. 83% of listeners from Twitter thought Shale won. Whew. Now, true though that is, to your credit, uh, as we predicted, I think that there was more debate about your picks on Twitter than there was mine. So though I think I picked a better team for deep decarbonization, you picked more interestingly. Well, before we um, talk about the reaction, do you want to remind everyone what our picks were? Sure. So as a reminder, we're trying to pick uh, a team of technologies to decarbonize the world. The goal is to reach two degrees Celsius of climate change or less by 2050. All right. And we each had nine picks. Uh, my team, centralized solar PV, offshore wind, lithium-ion batteries, high-voltage DC transmission, electrolysis, combined heat and power, electric water heaters, augmented reality, and high-speed rail. Steven's team, rooftop, rooftop PV, advanced power electronics, small modular nuclear, flow batteries, plasma waste recycling, carbon capture, sequestration, and utilization, biogas digesters, fake meat, and solar hot water. So Stephen, in the light of day a week later and having been voted down, uh, how do you feel about your team? Well, I do like my new nickname, uh, Plasma Lacey. 
Oh man. Yeah. I mean, you did pick the, <laughs> the single coolest sounding technology. Pa plasma waste recycling is, is cooler sounding than anything that I picked. So I realized that I was, I'm just not very good at f a fantasy draft because I started the episode reacting to your picks and you said as much during the episode. So I probably would have chosen some different active players today rather than some of these bench players that may have a huge impact down the road but are not, you know, playing a huge role in decarbonization today. Alan Nogi actually on Twitter put it, he said, no surprise, Shale Khan drafts major leaguers deployment. Stephen Lacey drafts half elementary to high school players innovation. My money on Khan. Yeah, I mean, you have a bunch of like high risk, high reward potential technologies, even aside from like plasma waste recycling. But, you know, small modular nuclear would be an example of that. Carbon capture is another example of that. Like if those achieve their full theoretical promise, that makes a, that a huge difference. Um, whereas I picked a bunch of technologies that are like, you know, basically mature today for the most part. What, let me ask you this question though. So we got a ton of commentary from people, many of whom suggested other things that we should have picked. Was there anything that, that anybody suggested that you were like, ah, neither of us picked it and somebody should have? Yeah, for sure. Well, the first one is onshore wind. It makes up like a third of global renewable energy production. Well, I figured, I, yeah, I mean, I picked offshore wind to, to match the resource profile of my solar, but it's true. Onshore wind is a big gaping hole there. Um, I would add uh, heat pumps. Oh, big time. I was going to mention that. Yeah, a lot of people suggested we should have done heat pumps. In retrospect, I think I would have done a heat pump instead of an electric water heater, probably. There were some people who made fun of you for picking electric water heaters because you were so close to heat pumps, but you didn't quite get there. Yep, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and also, someone made fun of me for picking solar hot water. They were like, wait, you have solar PV, rooftop solar PV, and you didn't pick heat pumps. That's an easy way to crush emissions in the space heating sector. That was a, an obvious miss that a lot of people pointed out. I should also note for the fantasy sports nerds out there who made the comment that, you know, I talked a big game about like, if you've done fantasy sports before, but then we, I didn't actually have us pick the correct way, which is it should have been a snake draft. Um, do you know what a snake draft is? No, I don't. Yeah. Okay. So normally in a, in a lot of these drafts, the way it'll work is I, like, I would have had the first pick, then you would have had the second and third, then I would have had the fourth and fifth, you would have had the sixth and seventh so that. Uh, you don't get sort of screwed depending on where you are in the lineup. I don't think it really matters for two people picking, but it would matter a lot if we had more people in our draft. Well, I'll tell you what, I, you were right. I definitely picked some choices to stir up some debate on Twitter, and we got a greater reaction than I could have asked for. And I actually learned a lot from our listeners just based on their reactions to our list. This was really helpful for me to think through some of the technology options. Totally. And a bunch of the suggestions that for things that we didn't do, I thought were also really interesting and, and could have been included either, you know, as a replacement for the picks that we did make, or if we were able to redo the draft and instead of having nine picks each, we could have had 15. There's just tons more we could have picked, which I guess is just a way to say that you know, you're gonna, this is this is going to go without saying, I guess. But you know, you there are a lot of technologies that can contribute to decarbonization. The that's both a good thing and a bad thing, I suppose. We, we you know means there are probably multiple baskets that can achieve decarbonization, but it also means we can't place all our eggs in any basket. 
Coming up, we tap our collective search histories. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group, a leading manufacturer of balance of system solutions for solar and storage. The Shoals slogan, inventing simple. It doesn't matter the product, a combiner box, junction box, inline fuse, monitoring system. Shoals makes it with the highest performance standards and a drive toward elegance. Shoals has been serving the solar industry since 1996, and after years of exponential growth, this American company maintains the same passion for quality and innovation. If you're looking to step up your game with the best balance of system solutions in the industry, contact Shoals. You can find out more at Shoals.com, S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. We're also brought to you by Wonder Capital. What if you could help businesses across the U.S. go solar and earn up to 7.5% annually? Well, since 2015, individuals like you have done that. They've invested tens of millions of dollars using Wonder Capital's solar investment platform. These individuals have helped to finance nearly 200 large-scale solar projects across the U.S., and you can join them. In fact, a large Wall Street hedge fund just joined them and invested over $100 million with Wonder. If you're interested in helping businesses go solar while earning up to 7.5% annually, go to wondercapital.com gtm. That is Wonder with a U, wondercapital.com slash GTM. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. Well, I guess we have to hold true to our promise at the beginning of the show. The almighty Google has spoken, so let's riff. Search number one, would electricity work during a zombie apocalypse? Shale, I'm going to give you the first whack at this one. What do you think? All right. So look, I think it's going to be situation specific, right? Like it depends. Uh, first of all, in the, in the ultimate zombie apocalypse, when like almost everyone is a zombie, the answer is, you know, the, the big bulk electricity grid probably won't because it's not automated. So it requires people to operate it still, which means that at some point, most of the people who are operating the grid become zombies and presumably stop operating the grid and focus on eating people. Um, but, you know, there's probably some time before that happens where like, actually, if you're sitting inside like a knock at a utility or an ISO or something like that, you know, you're not going to be the first one to get eaten by a zombie. Wait, so, so you hold on, hold on, hold on. You think that there's going to be people during a zombie apocalypse who are going to stay in the knock and keep electricity going. They're not going to go home to their families and go collect cans of soup and stuff. I do think that actually, um, because I think that. You know, if you're operating mission critical infrastructure on the grid, you you should know, and I would bet you've been trained to know that you what you are doing is absolutely vital to the functioning of the economy and to society. And so, you know, if you take that work seriously, as I think many of these people do, actually, you would keep doing it. And it, you know, I don't think it requires like, you know, not every single person or not every lineman has to continue to do their job every single day for, for most of the grid to stay up for a while. So yeah, I think so. Well, you're making a lot of assumptions here. You're assuming a gradual zombie outbreak. It could be immediate. You know, that's, that's an important part of this scenario that has implications for how quickly the power goes out, whether or not people are manning the power stations and the power grid itself. 
the other the other factor is are the zombies fast or slow right are they biters or manglers these have consequences for the infrastructure too are they going to take down poles and wires are they going to quickly eat the people manning the power stations so the speed of the zombie outbreak is really crucial well two things one do you are you implying when you say take down poles and wires are you implying the zombies are going to eat the poles and wires there, like there's a scenario in which these things are flopping all around and running really fast and basically like causing so much mayhem that they can take down wires and people are cra- you know crashing their cars into telephone poles and ripping down the distribution grid like there's a chaotic sen- scenario that I can imagine where the distribution grid goes down and you cause cascading outages like you know the 2003 Ohio outage that caused um you know massive northeast blackout so you could see a situation in which massive chaos happens locally that trips the power grid regionally yeah i well i don't i think the grid is is hardened largely to not have a a regional outage because of that but sure and on a local basis i guess that's possible i mean i think that you know, my understanding of, of zombie psychology, limited though it is, is that they are going to try to find humans. So they go to, they go to the population dense areas. They, they're probably not like going to find a transformer, for example. So they're not going to be like bumbling around a bunch of transformers and accidentally trip one or something. So, you know, maybe that happens in some dense urban areas, but, but I think the zombies are trying to find humans. The other point is like, you said maybe this happens immediately. I don't think that's how zombie outbreaks occur, right? They, you know, you you have an outbreak of some kind, and then the zombies themselves have to proliferate in order for um, the whole population to get infected. So that takes a while. No doubt that I think a zombie apocalypse is more likely going to spread more gradually. But the, the the end question is, what happens when it finally does spread? We're in total chaos. There are only just a few humans left. What power sources are going to be operating? And when that person leaves the control room, how long are generation resources going to last? And I think generally you can expect uh, power plants to shut down within a day, a couple of days. I think a gas plant or a coal plant would last 18 to 24 hours. Uh, maybe a nuclear plant, which are, is more automated, would last a couple of days before tripping offline. A hydro facility, which is more automated, may last uh, a little bit longer than that. But what will really stand would be off-grid solar systems with batteries or systems that are grid tied but have battery backup. And ultimately, when we get to the zombie apocalypse, we're looking at a solarized world. Uh, well, or, you know, backup generators with a, with a decent on-site fuel supply. Absolutely. Uh, no word yet if a 90-day on-site coal supply will help during a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I think that was the rationale for that NOPER that Secretary Perry suggested earlier this year. <laughs> Okay, search result number two. Does Elon Musk own Amazon or Uber? Not yet anyway. What do you make of that question, Shale? Why would why would people ask that? Well, I think it's just notable that those are that that's what comes up when you Google does Elon Musk, apart from all these other things. Just because you can I can't imagine it going in the other direction. For example, I bet if I do does Jeff Bezos yeah, if does Jeff Bezos does not have a does Jeff Bezos own Tesla, right? 
Uh, like, so the thing with Elon Musk, and this is actually, it's a relevant point because it speaks to one of the reasons that Tesla continues to exist despite sort of missing on every promise, especially around timeline that they offer, is that there's uh, such a cult of personality and such belief in Elon Musk personally that, you know, investors and believers are willing to put up with a lot. And as a result of that, you know, he's got this sort of mythical quality to him, which is why people think that maybe he owns Amazon or Uber, both of which are companies, at least Amazon for sure. And I, I don't know what the latest valuation of Uber is, but both of which have valuations that are at least as large, if not in the case of Amazon, much, much, much larger than Tesla's. <laughs> I'm just imagining an analyst before a, 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 an earnings call looking up, Googling which company Elon Musk owns. Well, he does. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is his relationship to all these other ventures that he has, uh, I don't know, come up with the idea for. So like what I, the things that I actually don't know, and I'm sure that folks who, who cover Elon Musk know really well, like what is his relationship to the boring company? What is his relationship to all these Hyperloop companies that have popped up? You know, all these ideas that he has, he has this candy company he says he's going to build. Like, you know that, you know, his relationship to SpaceX and Tesla really closely, but all this other stuff is interesting. Interestingly enough, Elon Musk sold a bunch of flamethrowers to try to finance the Boring Company project. And everyone thought that Musk was once again preparing for the zombie apocalypse, which he mentioned many years ago on a, an earnings call when he said his supercharger network, which was battery and solar powered, would uh, survive the zombie apocalypse. So you could drive your Tesla across the country if zombies ruled the world. And I guess that brings us to search result number three, two electric vehicles generally. Are they better for the environment? People want to know. And this one is actually really relevant since there's this new study out from the Manhattan Institute that claims electric vehicles are not better for the environment. It just came out this month. They compare EVs to conventional cars. This one had a ton of energy folks on Twitter writing rebuttals. Politico ran an op-ed from the report author saying EVs are a poor environmental solution. A familiar debate. Shale, it's no wonder that Googlers are confused. What did you make of the report? So this study just came out from written by um, this guy, Jonathan Lesser, who works at a firm called Continental Economics. And it, you know, it is basically trying to throw cold water on the, um, emissions benefits that most people assume come from the adoption of electric vehicles. And it tries to do that in a few different ways. And basically, the, I, I ended up taking too much time over the course of the last few days digging into all the research. that And there is a huge voluminous amount of research that's been published on this, basically none of which he cited. Um, but you know, the argument that he's making is that Adoption of electric vehicles isn't all it's cracked up to be for a few reasons. First, he says the greenhouse gas emissions benefit that you get um, is de minimis, very small. Second, he says that actually adoption of electric vehicles will increase emissions of other pollutants, not greenhouse gases, but things like sulfur dioxide, air pollutants. Um, and he then makes the case that subsidies for uh, electric vehicles are both very expensive from a greenhouse gas emissions perspective and bad from an overall environmental perspective. But the problem is that basically every single step along the way in this study, there is um, 
a what must be deliberate ignoring of the just massive volume of research that has already been published and peer reviewed, which this study is not, um, that show contrary things. And it relies on EIA forecasts of the electricity generation mix as a result you know, you end up with a lot more coal in the system in say 2050 than pretty much everybody thinks is going to be the reality at this point. So it's both relying on pretty bad forecasts for what's going to come out of the electricity sector and the methodology at pretty much every step along the way goes counter to what we've seen from dozens of other studies. I, like the many Googlers out there, find myself very confused by some of the conflicting data. So let me harness their confusion and ask, what does the large body of research tell us then? If you've been looking at all these studies out there, what does it say? So it's hard to generalize, um, and I'll admit to not being the world's foremost expert on this, but my read of it is, first of all, it is pretty situation specific. In other words, so you you uh, have an electric vehicle versus an internal combustion engine. The internal combustion engine um, is generating greenhouse gases, uh, the electricity sector also generates greenhouse gases, but even with a relatively dirty energy mix, uh, still generally will emit less greenhouse gases. But of course, the cleaner you make the electricity mix, the cleaner that vehicle becomes. And so even if you think that today, let's just imagine they're at parity in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, which I don't think is true, um, what you're doing is you're, you're trying to push toward a sectoral decarbonization strategy, which we've talked about before, which is decarbonize the electricity sector and electrify everything that you can. And so if you believe the electricity sector is going to be increasingly decarbonized, renewables will grow and so on, then um, it's, it's just going to get better and better. The other point that he makes is about other emissions, things like sulfur dioxide, which it is, it is true that the electricity sector does tend to emit more of right now, especially coal. Um, but again, to this point of if we are retiring coal faster than the EIA projects, which I will bet on that, um, then similarly, those emissions will be declining rapidly. So the, the Union of Concerned Scientists is often cited for their analysis on this issue, and they find basically what you just outlined, that electric vehicles do have an emissions profile, but it's getting better over time as the grid gets cleaner. But I find myself confused in reading some of the Union of Concerned Scientists research as well, because they compare um so they look at an electric vehicle and they they look at power plant emissions and the emissions from the production of uh coal natural gas and other fuels from power plants but when they look at internal combustion vehicles they look at um extracting crude oil from the ground getting the oil to the refinery making gasoline transporting gasoline to filling stations, and the combustion emissions from the tailpipe. So it seems like they're leaving out different sources of emissions if they're truly doing a life cycle analysis on the the energy side for uh, battery production for electric vehicles, um, you know, the, the steel and the materials that go into renewable energy power plants, uh, the, the wires and cables that make up the electric grid. If we're truly going to have... A, an apples-to-apples apples comparison, this did not feel complete to me. 
And I mention this only because this is a piece of research that is cited by a lot of people. Yeah. And I guess the the broader point here, rather than trying to dig into the specifics, is just that there is a lot of research out there. And actually, Costa Samaras, who's a, a professor at Carnegie Mellon, who does a lot of research in this area, made this point that the report has 172, quote unquote, references, only three of which are actually peer-reviewed papers about electric vehicles. One of those three um, was used just to mention the impact of, of temperature on EV performance. And the other two are papers that saying that others have done a more complete analysis, but doesn't actually say what those others have done. So it doesn't really attempt to engage with the existing literature, of which there is a lot, um, Instead, just trying to make this kind of adjacent point without really defending itself. I think we can conclude a couple of things. One, your electric vehicle comes with an emissions profile. But two, the electric grid is getting cleaner, and it's getting cleaner faster than most organizations have historically predicted. And so the emissions profile is improving. Um, with that said, there may be new types of internal combustion engines that rival the emissions, the life cycle emissions profile of an EV. I think the data is not completely clear, but we can say with certainty that electric vehicles are getting cleaner over time. Yeah, I mean, we can certainly say that the electric grid is getting cleaner over time, and thus anything using electricity is getting cleaner over time. So I think that's a good place to end it. We. We got a full episode out of Googling. Google's got a lot in it, my friend. Hopefully we've cleared things up for all you people out there asking questions to Google. And if you want to listen to this podcast on Google, just go to Google Play, subscribe, listen on your Android device. Google now has this cool functionality where you can listen on your phone, on your Android device, and then stop, walk in your house, and continue playing the same podcast on your Google Home so try that out if you're listening to us on Android and you have both those technologies. Otherwise, just find us anywhere else you get podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, you name it. Give us a rating and review. Send us your questions. We want to uh, answer more of those. We think listener feedback is important for covering the subjects that you want to hear. Podcasts at greentechmedia.com is where you send those. With Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media.